And now it's time to dig into God's Word. Make sure you have your Bibles on hand. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 18 in just a few moments. One of my favorite parts of the New Testament are the parts that tell us about Jesus' miracles. Uh, Jesus did all sorts of amazing things during his ministry years here on earth. And one of the most well-known miracles of Jesus was when he fed the 5,000. Do you remember that one? Uh, Jesus fed 5,000 men, not even counting the women and children, with five little rolls and two fish sticks. It was an amazing miracle. All four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell us about the feeding of the 5,000. We know that Jesus was in the midst of a very busy time of his ministry, and so one day he decided to take his apostles to a quiet little shore on a side of the Sea of Galilee where there weren't many towns nearby. And so Jesus takes his disciples to this little retreat center for some much-needed R&R. They needed to recharge their batteries. He wanted a place where there weren't any people. And so they dock their little boat on the shore. They get out onto their uh, land there by the retreat center and guess what is there to meet Jesus. Thousands of people. Thousands of people there at that so-called quiet retreat center. And Jesus, it says, had compassion on them. So he healed their sick and he took care of the needs of the people and he taught them God's word throughout the afternoon. And when evening time came, Jesus' disciples came up to him and said, Hey, Jesus, this is a remote place. You need to send the crowds away so they can go into the nearby towns to buy food for their families. And you remember what Jesus said? He told his disciples, No, you give them something to eat. Well, they brought forth a little boy. That little boy was the only one that had enough sense that day to pack a lunch. Probably his mom did it for him. But he comes forth with his little lunch with those five rolls and the two fish. And the disciples are thinking, what on earth can we do with such a small little meal for thousands of people? And so there they are in Jesus. Remember what he does. He lifts up a prayer of blessing. He breaks the bread. And he hands it to his disciples. And thousands of people have full tummies within a matter of a few minutes. He multiplied the bread and the fish to meet all of their needs. Someone asked a question this last week in a commentary I was reading, and I want to ask you much the same question. Would Jesus have been up a creek if there had been 10,000 men there that day? If there had been 10,000 men there that day, would Jesus have told Andrew, who brought that little boy in his lunch to Jesus, would Jesus have told him, I'm sorry, Andrew, if there were only 5,000 men, uh, I could multiply the bread and the fish to meet their needs? Would he have said that? Uh, what if there were a uh, hundred times as many people? Uh, what if there were uh, not just 5,000, but half a million people? Would Jesus have said, I'm sorry, that's too many people, I can't feed them with five loaves and two fish? And the answer is... No, it wouldn't have made a bit of a difference, would it? Because Jesus is able to take broken pieces and do amazing things with them. You could say it this way. There is no limit to what Jesus Christ can do in and through someone who brings their brokenness to him. And I want to talk to you about the brokenness that we can bring to Jesus today. As we dive into Jeremiah chapter 18, I'm calling today's message, Like Clay in the Potter's Hands. 
As I mentioned earlier, Jeremiah is a little more than half the way uh, through your Bible. It's in the Old Testament. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 18, starting in verse 1. And as you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of the backstory on Jeremiah and particularly what led up to chapter 18 here. Jeremiah's dad, we're told in chapter 1, was a priest. Uh, He was a priest in Israel, and honestly, priests in Israel had a pretty cushy job. Uh, their job description was uh, was spelled out in detail in those first five books of the Old Testament, those first five books we call the Torah. Uh, they give all the guidelines for how priests should act and how they should serve at the temple. And those priests in Jeremiah's day were well respected. They were honored. They were pretty well compensated for their job. And so his dad was a priest. Most likely his granddad and great-granddad were priests. But God in chapter 1 said, Jeremiah, I have a different plan for you. In chapter 1, verse 5, God says, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And so his dad had been a priest, and Jeremiah growing up must have assumed that he would one day become a priest. But God said, no, I have a different plan for you, Jeremiah. You're not going to be a priest. You're going to be a prophet. Now, believe me, there was a huge difference between a priest and a prophet. Priests were pretty well compensated. Prophets didn't make diddly. Priests were respected. Prophets were disrespected. Priests were lifted up in their society. Prophets were the ones that did what no one else in Israel wanted to do. God would give them messages that went like this. I want you to go to this this person or, or go to this group of Israelites and tell them, you have sinned against God. No one likes to hear that, right? You have sinned against God, and if you do not repent and change your ways, God is going to bring judgment upon you. Well, that's not a message anyone wanted to give, but that's the message God entrusted to prophets time and time again. And he said, Jeremiah, I'm calling you to be a prophet and to speak the words from God that no one wants to hear and most people are not courageous enough to deliver. And so God set Jeremiah apart even from before birth to be his prophet, and he prophesied in Israel at a time where most people were turning their backs on God. I I think of a prophet like Jeremiah as as being one of those guys who would have been on Mike Rowe's show, Dirty Jobs. (laughs) It was a messy, it was a smelly job, but someone had to do it. And I'm so thankful that Jeremiah stepped up to the challenge to be that prophet that Israel desperately needed. So we're in Jeremiah chapter 18, starting in verse 1. Let's pick up in the midst of Jeremiah's prophecies uh, there to his sinful and rebellious nation of Israel. It says, This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be built up and planted, 
And if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, This is what the Lord says. I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. May God bless us as we study and, most importantly, apply his word to our lives today. God speaks to his followers. He speaks to us in a a variety of ways. He speaks to us through prayer. He speaks through us through other people, uh, through our church leaders, uh, through our spouses, through our kids, through our grandkids. God speaks to us sometimes through our neighbors. Uh, at times, he even speaks to us through perfect strangers. And we know that God speaks to us most often directly through his word. It says that the Bible is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it cuts even to dividing uh, bone and and marrow. It it cuts and and reveals the attitudes even in the deepest part of our hearts. And so God's word is what speaks to us more than anything else. But here we have one of those instances in Scripture where God speaks in a unique way to one of his followers. Uh, Jeremiah did what he did so well when God came to him here in verse 2 and said, Go down to the potter's house. And there I will give you my message. So God says, I'm going to speak my word to you in a unique way today, Jeremiah. And I'm going to do it at the potter's house. And Jeremiah probably thought that was a little weird for God to send him to the potter's house. But he obeyed. As he did so many other times, he obeyed in this instance as well. In Jeremiah's day, one of the most common jobs in Israel was that job of a potter. Every town had at least one guy, maybe two guys, that would make pots uh, and would would be that master potter. They would make the pots for each household and the plates and, and the cups because every household needed those things. They needed the pots. They needed the plates. They needed the cups. And so the potter was the go-to guy to provide those for the people in his town. And so in all likelihood, Jeremiah had walked by the potter's house in his town a hundred times. But on this occasion, God directed Jeremiah to go to the potter's house, observe him at his work. And as he observed that potter, God would speak to him in a very powerful way. Well, Jeremiah obeys. He tells us in verses 3 and 4 that when he arrived at the potter's house, the potter was busy at his wheel. Uh, Now, this is kind of a new thing to most of us. Most of us have never done pottery, so uh, let me give you a few quick pictures to help us out here. Uh, This is what a modern-day potter's wheel looks like. You see in the picture there's a foot pedal, much like a foot pedal you'd have with a sewing machine. And so modern-day potter's wheels, you plug them in, you step on the pedal, and that little turntable on top starts to spin. And as it spins with that glob of damp clay on top of it, that potter will begin to form that pot very carefully as that wheel spins. Well, of course, back in Jeremiah's day, and for most of human history, we didn't have electricity. And so what they would do, and we'll show you this second picture, they would work off of traditional potter's wheel. It would have the turntable, small wheel on top. It would have an axle going vertically, and at the bottom would be a large wheel, as you can see in that picture there. 
And what that potter would do, he would sit down in a chair behind the potter's wheel. He would place his feet up on top of that lower, larger wheel. And with his feet, he would move that wheel, spinning it around and around and around so that top turntable, as it turned, he could form that pot. So you imagine his his feet are very active turning the big wheel. And his uh, hands are very active forming the clay into whatever pot he had in mind. So it was quite a workout for a potter in those days. And so Jeremiah is watching this potter moving his feet to spin the wheel, moving his hands to shape the pot. And he notices there in those first few verses of this chapter that the potter gets to a point where he realizes that the clay is marred. He realizes that there's something wrong with this clay. And so Jeremiah keeps watching and he keeps waiting, even though at this point God hasn't said a thing to him there at the potter's house. And so this this potter sees that this clay is marred as he's begun to form it into something, and he stops. And he decides to tear it down and rework it into something completely different. That clay that had been marred in his hands, he tears down and reforms into something different. Whatever it was, the potter realized that plan A for that clump of of clay was not going to be carried out. And so he scrapped plan A and went with plan B. And it was then that God spoke to Jeremiah. God started with a question there in verse 6. He says, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Think about that question God asks. Can I not do with you, Israel? just like that potter did with that clump of clay. What an illustration. The potter has the right to sculpt whatever he wants out of that lump of clay, right? And he has the skill to do it. Even if he's halfway through the process of making one thing, he has the absolute right and the skill to tear it down and rebuild it into something completely different. God says to Jeremiah, Tell the people of Israel that they are like clay in my hand and that I have the absolute right to do with them what the potter did with the clay. In fact, I have an even greater right to do that because I made the clay in the first place. I'm the creator of heaven and earth. I created every human being and I created every nation on earth. So I have even more of a right to tear down a nation or a person and rebuild them into something different than even the potter has to tear down his clay and form it into something different. He says, I have the absolute right. I have the ability. And I do not need your permission. Just as the potter doesn't need the clay's permission to do to it as that potter chooses, I don't need your permission for me to do to your nation as I desire. In Jeremiah's day, the people of Israel had become so arrogant and wicked. They thought that they could do whatever they wanted and get away with it. They had rejected God and his laws and were chasing after false gods. In Jeremiah's day, many people in Israel worshipped the Canaanite god Molech. Molech was a wicked god, a god of the Canaanites. And in worship of Molech, Molech worshippers would take their babies, they would take their infants and throw them into a fire. At times, if there wasn't a fire there, they would drown them in a pool of water. Their own babies 
That's what was involved in Molech worship. Many Israelites in Jeremiah's day worshipped the Moabite god Chemosh, whose worship involved human sacrifice. And many others in Israel worshipped Baal and Asherah. Baal and Asherah were a god and a goddess who, as you worshipped them, you would engage in temple prostitution and in all sorts of sexual perversion. That was what it meant to, to worship Baal and Asherah. And so these Israelites that Jeremiah is sent to minister to and to proclaim God's word to, they're worshiping Molech and they're worshiping Chemosh and they're worshiping Baal and Asherah. Well, hundreds of years earlier, God had set apart the nation of Israel. And he had set them apart as his chosen and his blessed nation. It was one of his greatest plan A's of all time. God took that one man, Abraham, and said, Out of you, I will make a great nation. Uh, You won't even be able to count your descendants. They'll be as numerous as the sand on the seashore, as numerous as the stars in the sky. And I will bless your nation, Abraham. God had chosen out of love and out of goodness and out of mercy to love this nation of Israel, to build Israel, to nourish Israel, to protect Israel, and bless Israel more than any other nation on earth. But at the height of Israel's blessing, the nation had turned around and they had spit in God's face. They, in essence, said, God, we will take your blessings, but we, have n- we want nothing to do with you or the laws that you have set for us in order to receive those blessings. You know, they wanted their cake and eat it too. They wanted the blessings, but they didn't want the responsibility to bear those blessings. Because of their arrogance and their rebellion and their sin, Israel had become like marred clay in God's hands. So God was about to initiate plan B. Plan A was to prosper Israel and make them the greatest nation on earth and bless them from now into eternity. But they were squandering that blessing, and so God was about to tear them down and rebuild them into something different that wasn't nearly as good. God was ready to exercise his absolute right to tear Israel down and to build it into something different. I want you to see again what God says in his word in Jeremiah 18, starting again this time. In verse 7, it says, If any time, God speaking here, if at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, And if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. Wow. Those are words of judgment. When a lump of clay is being stubborn and refuses to be formed into whatever it is that the potter had in mind, that lump of clay is going to be torn down and reshaped into something completely different. But nations aren't lifeless lumps of clay, are they? People, individuals, we aren't lifeless lumps of clay, are we? God has given us the ability to choose right and wrong. And God has given us the ability to change. We have the ability to stop being stubborn. We have the ability to surrender to God our hard hearts that keep us from being shaped 
into God's great plan for our lives. And God tells us in verse 8 how to change. Don't miss this great word. Starts with the letter R there in verse 8. How do we change if God sees in us sin and wickedness and he says, you know what? You're squandering my plan for your life. I'm going to tear you down. How do we experience change that will allow God to continue building us up into that image that he had set for us before we were even born? There in verse 8, the key word is repent. Repent. We admit that we are sinners. We ask God to have mercy on us and forgive us for our sin. And we change the way that we live. Instead of rebelling against God, we surrender to God and we obey God. Repentance is the key. It's the key. God says here in Jeremiah 18, Israel, I'm about to tear you down because of your stubborn rebellion against me. But if you repent, I will relent. And not inflict on you the disaster that I had planned. I will move forward with my plan to bless you. You see how that works? God sends his prophets in mercy to warn them. If you continue on this path, judgment is coming. If you continue on this path and reject God and his plan for your life, he will tear you down. But the warning is given. God gives them an opportunity to change, to repent. And if they do repent, God will relent of that judgment that he said he was going to bring. Repentance is the key. God makes it clear in these verses that he reserves the right to change his plans for nations based upon how those nations respond to his efforts to form them on the potter's wheel. If God plans to destroy a nation, he has that right because he is God. But he is a merciful and loving God. So if that nation humbles itself and repents of its sin, God will choose instead to bless that nation and build it up. That happened with Nineveh in the time of Jonah. God had determined to destroy them in just a matter of days. But they turned from their sin. They repented. So God changed his mind and blessed them instead of cursed them. Similarly, if God plans to bless a nation... He also has that right, but because he is a holy and just God, if that nation rebels against him and rejects him, God will choose instead to curse that nation and tear it down. That's eventually what happened to Old Testament Israel. They refused to repent, and so God tore them down and had to rebuild them from the ground up. Now look again at what God says in verse 11. Now therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, This is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. Now let me ask you, is God speaking here to the nation of Israel as a whole? Or is he speaking to individuals within Israel? Go ahead and look at verse 11 again. Is he speaking to the whole nation of Israel? Or to individuals within Israel? And the answer is both. Both. God in the first half of verse 11 is continuing to direct 
his judgment and his warning against the whole nation of Israel. He began doing that in verse 6, and he continues that through the first half of verse 11. He's speaking to the nation of Israel as a whole. But then he takes a kind of a shift. He, he takes a turn halfway through verse 11, and he begins speaking to the individuals in Israel. He speaks to the whole house of Israel, and he speaks to the individual members of the house. He wants both the nation as a whole and the individuals themselves to repent. And I want to suggest to you this morning that here in Jeremiah 18, God has a message for our entire nation, the United States of America, and he also has a message for you and for me. He's speaking to all of us together as a nation, and he's speaking to us as individuals as well. Let me start with God's message for America. Here in Jeremiah 18, God is reminding our nation that we, like Israel, are a very blessed nation. Don't you agree? America is a very blessed nation. God has blessed us with a government that is largely built upon biblical principles. God has blessed us with freedoms that most people on earth don't enjoy. God has blessed us with a land that is filled with natural resources. God has blessed us with financial prosperity and protection from our enemies and victories on the battlefield and the privilege of sending Christian missionaries throughout the world to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is only scratching the surface of the many blessings that God has given to the United States of America. But like Israel in Jeremiah's day, we as a nation have squandered God's blessings. Let's be real with each other. We've squandered God's blessings. Think about it. Like Israel in Jeremiah's day, we have become Molech worshipers. Now, we may not bow down to some God called Molech, but just like those individuals in Israel were sacrificing infants and babies and children to this false God Molech, we ask ourselves the question, how many babies have we murdered? In recent years. Did you know that since 1973, when Roe v. Wade passed to legalize abortion in the United States, 63 million babies, 63 million innocent babies have been murdered in the United States of America. God calls it murder. We just call it choice. What about worship of Chemosh? We may not bow down to some idol called Chemosh. But just like the Israelites in, in uh, Jeremiah's day, we too have murdered a huge number of our own citizens. In 2018, there were 16,214 murders in America. can't even wrap my mind around that number. That's almost half the population of the city of Atlanta. One year, 2018, 16,000 plus murders in the United States. Catch this. In one recent weekend in 2020... In the city of Chicago, 106 people were shot one weekend and 14 people were killed. One weekend in one city in America. How about Baal and Asherah worship? That took place in Jeremiah's day in Israel. And we similarly have become more and more sexually perverse as a nation. The American porn industry is a billion dollar business. Homosexuality. And bestiality, not bestiality yet, time is coming, but homosexuality and bisexuality have become commonplace. Transgenderism have become accepted as normal in the last ten years in our nation. 
what we used to consider an abomination, what God in his word considers an abomination, we call normal and we call freedom. Well, that's just sick what's going on in our nation today. And maybe you've heard that in recent weeks, there's been a rising call to legalize pedophilia. Some shake our heads and we say that'll never happen in this nation. Don't be so sure. Don't be so sure. In so many ways, we have followed in the sinful footsteps of ancient Israel. So what is God saying to the United States of America? I believe he is saying this. America, you are like the nation of Israel. Over these past 250 years, I have lovingly built you up, and I've nourished you, and I've protected you from your enemies, and blessed you more than any other nation on earth. I have made you into a great nation because your citizens and your leaders have to a large extent honored me and obeyed my commands. But like Israel, you have rebelled against my commands in recent years. You have filled your streets with blood and violence. You have perverted yourselves. So if you don't repent, I will tear you down, America. I really do believe God is telling us in Jeremiah 18, America, I will tear you down if you don't repent. So I've been praying for the better part of 21 years for revival in the United States of America. That God would take hold of the hearts of his people and set them on fire. That first of all, the church would turn from its sin. First of all, Christians would turn from their sin. And we would turn back to God and live lives of righteousness and holiness and full consecration to Him like He has intended from the beginning. And as the church becomes completely sold out and committed to God, in turn, it will spill into the streets and our nation will turn to God by the millions. Oh, America needs Jesus Christ. We are in big trouble if we don't repent and turn back to God. America's best days are behind us unless we repent and turn back to God. It's one of the reasons why it's so important to pray for America and pray for America's leaders. I don't care if you like President Trump or not. Pray for him. I don't care if you like Nancy Pelosi or not. Pray for her. I don't care if you like Governor Newsom or not. Pray for him. Pray for our leaders, Christians. God wants Bible-believing Christians to pray for our nation, to intercede for our nation's leaders. He wants us to be in His Word every single day because we will not know the will of God unless we hide His Word in our hearts. God is calling us to pray for our nation. God is calling us to be in His Word and He's calling us to be salt and light to our nation so that He will continue to build us in the image that He has in mind for us. Now, God's message for you specifically. God's message for you. I believe God wants you to know that what he said to Jeremiah a little bit later in this book, in Jeremiah 29.11, he says to you. Jeremiah 29.11, for many Christians, their favorite verse in the Bible, God says this, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Think about that. Just like God knit Jeremiah together in his mother's womb and knew him before he was even a little fetus inside his mother's womb, in the same way God knew you before you were ever inside your mother's womb. He knew you and he had a perfect plan for your life before you were even born. And he had a plan to prosper you and not to harm you, a plan to give you hope and a future. Just like with Jeremiah, God knew you 
and had a great plan for you. God is your great potter. He planned to make you into something great, to be a blessing to this world, and more importantly, to bring honor and praise to Him. But like Israel, you have turned your back on God. Like Israel, you have turned your back on the potter and His great plan for your life. You've rebelled against God and and chased after other things. Your sin has left you marred in God's hands. So the question for you today is this. Will you repent? Will you repent? Will you change? Will you recognize that there is sin and wickedness that is rebellion against your Creator God, that is rebellion against the potter who is forming you into something greater than you could ever imagine? Would you admit that you are a sinner, turn from your sin, and repent? You see, God wants to do great things in you and through you. And if you repent to Him and you humble yourself before Him, He will continue to carry out His great plan for your life. Will you allow yourself to be completely broken in God's hands so that He can form you into something much better than you are right now? Oh, we can come to God any day of the week, but we must come to Him humble, and we must come to Him broken. As Jesus did with those five broken dinner rolls, He can do with you. You see, there is no limit to what the potter can do in and through someone who presents their brokenness to Him. Heavenly Father, I come to You in Jesus' name. And I pray for everyone who's been watching and listening to this broadcast today. Lord, this wasn't one of those touchy-feely, super happy, rah-rah type messages. Lord, the temptation is to give that kind of message on a day like Back to Church Sunday. But Lord, I believe you had me share this passage and this message from this passage. God, the stakes are so high We've got to get back to making the main thing the main thing. I pray for my Christian brothers and sisters, Lord, who are listening and watching this broadcast, Lord. And many, Lord, have found themselves backsliding in the last six months. They haven't gone to a live service. They haven't even gone to an online service. They've gotten out of the habit of worship. They've gotten out of the habit of being in your word. They've gotten out of the habit of spending some serious time in prayer. They've gotten out of the habit of of standing for you and telling others about you. Lord, would you bring us back? We are marred in your hands. I pray that we would give ourselves to you. That we would give you our sin that we would give you our shortcomings, that we would give you our diagnoses, that we would give you our illnesses, that we would give you our mess. Lord, we give you our brokenness. And we pray that you would do what only you can do, to take our brokenness and piece us back together into something that's so much better than what we are right now. Lord, I pray for anyone here who's listening watching who has never made that decision to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior I pray that they would recognize in this moment Lord that you will tear them down either for good or for judgment you will either tear their kingdom down in mercy or you will tear it down in judgment and I pray that each person listening and watching 
God would choose mercy. By humbling themselves before you. Admitting that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. Believing, Lord Jesus, that you died on the cross for their sins so they could be forgiven. And choosing to give their lives over to you. Brokenness and all. To give their lives over to you as the great potter. To rebuild them into something much greater than they could ever be on their own. I pray, O God, that we would give our hearts completely to you today. I pray that we would rededicate ourselves if we've fallen away. And that we would commit ourselves for the first time if we've never done so. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's not complicated to accept Christ. Some describe it using the ABCs. A, you admit that you're a sinner. B, you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And C, you choose to follow Jesus Christ from this point forward as your Lord and Savior. You say, here I am on the wheel, God. I'm going to give you what I have. And you know what? There's really only one way to come to Jesus, and that's broken. If you come to Jesus any other way than broken, he doesn't want you. If you think you've got it all together, if you think you can make it to heaven on your own, if you think your life's just fine without him, you can't come to Jesus. You can only come to him broken. But if you come to him broken, he will build you up. And you can take that to the bank. Amen? Amen. Well, if you're wanting to take communion with us today, we're so happy that you're going to do so. Communion is offered at Impact Christian Church to all believers and followers of Christ. If you are here today and you are a believer and follower of Christ, he says you can take of the bread, reminding you of his body that was broken for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way Jesus took the juice or the wine, he said, this represents my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. I encourage you to spend a few moments in prayer, reflection, spend some time talking to your Lord. If you've made a decision today to accept Christ, we have the numbers of our prayer counselors today on the bottom of your screen. Reach out today to one of our prayer counselors. Text them or call them, letting them know that you need prayer, letting them know that you've made a decision to accept Christ. And we'd love to talk to you as soon as possible about how you can get baptized. And for those of you who have just taken communion, do spend those moments in prayer as we sing this final song of the service. God bless you.